0: Luke, Luke chapter 6. And let's do the smart thing and have a quick word of prayer before we get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, as always, Lord, you wrote this. We just pray that you would teach us and that we would listen. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this and just all the classrooms in the back as well. In your name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, Luke chapter 6. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses uh, 37 through 49 and get a chance to finish up our study here in Luke chapter 6. Now, this has been a buildup here over the last couple weeks. Especially last week. Last week was the teaching from verses 27 through 36 about loving your enemies. And we talked about how difficult that is when you've been wronged by people, when people disagree with you, be it theologically or in ideals or politically, et cetera, how difficult that is sometimes to have. Unconditional love towards them. We're going to build on that guess the first passage that deals with this today is look at verse 37. Now I'm going to actually read verses 37 through 45. We normally don't read that many verses at once, but it's important to get the full context here of what we're talking about. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 6: Judge not, and you shall not be judged; condemn not, and you shall not be condemned; forgive. You will be forgiven. Given and will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For With the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them saying, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye." And then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye for a good tree does not bear bad fruit Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit for every tree is known by its own fruit for men do not gather figs from thorns Nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks Now a lot of stuff in there obviously go back to the first part judge not you shall not be judged condemn not and you shall not be condemned Have you not noticed this in Christianity? The longer you have been saved, the longer you walk with the Lord, the easier it is to start becoming judgmental and condemning towards people that used to do the same things that you did. It's very easy that after you've been with the Lord for a few years, you can look back and see somebody in your same spot, and all of a sudden get a really judgmental heart for them because I can't believe they're doing that. And we were doing the same things 10, 15, 20 years ago. It amazes me, Christians that have been touched by forgiveness by Christ, we can be the most judgmental people, we can be the most condemning people. As we've said out here many times, according to the world, the world knows what we as Christians stand against more than what we stand for. You'd go up to a non-believer and say, well, what do you think about Christians? Well, I know they hate this, and they hate that, and they are bent this. How many times will the world say, wow, they are the most unconditional loving people I've ever met? And what did Jesus say? They'll know you're my disciples by your love. Now, as Christians, we got verse 37 down. We're very judgmental. We're very condemning. We're really good at that. So what are we doing wrong with that? See, here's a problem. If you're judgmental, you will probably be judged by others. If you condemn people, you will probably be condemned by other people. It's very easy to get this judgmental condemning attitude. How many times do we see this in life where I say, I know, I know what? I know what they're thinking. I know what they're saying. I know why they did that. And we can magically get in somebody else's head and know their motives and their actions and know everything about them. We just know. See, that word to be judgmental, it means literally to pass a sentence. It means that you completely understand the situation perfectly, so therefore you can make a judgment call because you know exactly what they're thinking and feeling and why they did that. Of course, that's impossible. Yet that's what we do. We say it all the time. I know why they said it. I know why they did it. No, we don't. See, there's a danger in having these conversations with ourselves. There was a king back in the Old Testament in Israel where the Bible says that he thought unto himself. And he made a decision, and he made his decision with one advisor, and that advisor was himself. You know how dangerous that is? I know for me sometimes when I'm going through a situation, if I sit down and have a good conversation with myself, I feel good. Because I finally met somebody who agrees with me perfectly. We see it from the same perspective, and it's really easy to make a decision once I talk to myself. Once I talk to myself, it's perfectly picture clear. I get done with that conversation, I feel blessed because I thought, finally, somebody sees it from my perspective, and I can move on. That's that judgmental attitude of I know, I see. Boys, Christians, we get that. Now here's the thing. There's always somebody at this point that says, well, you know what, I'm generally right on these things. You may be right two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in a row. But you're not going to be right every time. Because we can never fully know someone's heart or motives in any way whatsoever. So it's not our place to get in there and judge and pass sentence and to condemn. It's not. Does this mean we let things go? No. Verses 43 and 45, the Bible says I can look at people's fruits and get a picture of their heart. I heard a pastor say one time, I'm not judgmental, but I will inspect fruit. And there's truth to that. If someone wants to come out to harvest and start serving, We're not going to judge them, but we will ask them questions. We will look into their lives because we want somebody who's producing good fruit that's going to encourage and help the body of Christ. So there's nothing wrong with looking at the fruit of someone's life and saying, I can see where you're at in your walk with the Lord. That's fine. But don't go the far distance of passing judgment and sentence saying, I know exactly what they're thinking and feeling because I can tell. No, we don't know that. We're supposed to not have that judgmental attitude. We're not supposed to be condemning. In fact, verse 37, we're supposed to be forgiven. Now, if you look at the end of verse 37, "forgive and you will be forgiven. It almost sounds like what this passage is saying is if you harbor unforgiveness towards somebody, you can't be forgiven. Can you imagine laying on your deathbed at the end of your life, going through your entire life from kindergarten on, saying, did I ever forgive Sally for what she did to me in first grade? Can you imagine having that over you? In the context of this passage, in the context of this chapter, we're talking about having a forgiving heart with relationships with others. If I'm judgmental towards you, you will probably be judgmental towards me. If I'm condemning of you, you will probably be condemning of me. If I harbor unforgiveness towards you, guess what you're going to do? Probably harbor unforgiveness towards me. This is we're dealing with relationships. Let's build on this though. Let's see how we're supposed to be as Christians. Can you go to Ephesians 4, please? Ephesians chapter 4. Here's one of the passages I go to a lot doing premarital counseling and also marital counseling. It's got this great setup of how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to have our lives, and it builds up to that point. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, let's go ahead and start in verse 26, please. Ephesians 4, verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Now, Let's talk about that for one second. That idea of be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your wrath nor give place to the devil. You're going to get frustrated about things in life. You're going to get troubled about things in life. Don't allow yourself to let those emotions control you. Biblically speaking, I'm allowed to get angry about this, But I'm not allowed to allow that anger, that emotional anger to control me. That's when it becomes an issue. So I will be troubled. I will be frustrated. Sometimes I will be angry. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's wrong, though, according to verse 27, when you give place to the devil. See, it's wrong when you open that up to the enemy, and the enemy comes in and plants himself into your life. And next thing you know, you're walking in anger and frustration and not walking in forgiveness. Boy, that will just eat you up. I had a situation out here at church a while ago. Something was said something was done kind of I took it the wrong way and it was kind of frustrating me So I thought okay, I just need to let this go I just need to forgive this person. It's not that big a deal So you go to the lord and you say okay, you know lord I just want to let this go. I don't want this to eat at me I got up the next day and it was still eating at me I thought okay. Well, you know according to the bible I'm supposed to pray for those that despitefully use you pray for those first get you pray for that lord I'm, just gonna pray for them be with them give them a blessed day today. and you do everything the bible says but What happened is then later on a couple of days later out of the blue Faults and emotions just pop out of nowhere. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they did that. You're just doing something in life, and all of a sudden it just hits you, and I can't believe they did that. And what happens is you're giving place to the devil because you're not fully ever giving it back over to him. To the Lord, I should say. It's amazing how that bitterness and that anger and that frustration, that unforgiveness can plant themselves in you, and you can't move for them. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Jump ahead to verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. And be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as in God and Christ forgave you. See, t- just look at your life real quick. Where's your heart at in these issues of being judgmental, condemning, and unforgiving? Verse 29, what's your heart doing? Are corrupt words coming out of your mouth? Are edifying words coming out of your mouth? See, I can look, I should say, I should be able to say, I listen to your words. I can see where your heart stands on a lot of issues. You go up to certain Christians, and you just mention a certain name to them, and my goodness, corrupt words start flowing out of their mouth. That's a hard issue that's being revealed. Verse 31, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking are supposed to be put away from us. I go through this verse a lot, especially in premarital counseling, and I say, okay, now look at your fiancé. What type of words do they have? Do they have corrupt words? Or do they have edifying words? Are they, verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking? And I say, this is the person you're going to be married. We do the same thing with marriage counseling. We sit down and say, what are your words? If your words are not edifying that imparts grace to the hearers. Verse 29, you're tearing down. There's power in words. It reveals our heart. And the way our heart is supposed to be is verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. See, here's the point, bring it full circle now, about forgiveness. If I have been touched by the forgiveness of Christ, why can't I be forgiving towards other people? That's what it's talking about. If I am harboring unforgiveness towards other people, it means do I not fully realize what Christ did for me? Because when I fully realize what Jesus Jesus did for me and how he forgave me of my sins, then I would not harbor any unforgiveness towards anybody else. Because if I can be wiped clean in forgiveness by Christ, why would I not want to do the same to others? Look at verse 32 one more time. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Boy, I've been touched by the forgiveness of Christ. I want other people too. One more point on this before we move on. Can you turn to Matthew 18, please? Matthew 18. One more point on this. Matthew 18, verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Peter was trying to act impressive here. Lord, how often do I forgive somebody? Seven times. He's trying to pick some number that seemed impressive. Seven times? Jesus takes it one step further, 70 times seven. Now, I have met people that Honestly, believe this is a command that they're able to forgive 490 times. And after 490 times, they don't have to. And I, I'm not kidding. I've met people that actually keep track. I actually keep track. I remember one time I saw a bumper sticker that had 70 times 7 on it. Then it had little hash marks of all the times But they have used it, and it was a countdown. Jesus was trying to pick something here that shows a completion, a 70 times 7, 490. That this is an all-encompassing forgiveness. I don't want you going through the rest of your life saying, "Okay, I've forgiven him 19 times." Okay. This is the 20th time. You know, I only have to do it 470 more. that That's not the purpose of this verse. And he goes on to back this up, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Depending on your translation, that is literally millions and millions of dollars that this man owed. Verse 25. As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, and that all that he had, and that the payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, depending on your translation, this is a minute amount of money. Possibly just a few dollars to maybe a few days' worth of wages, just depending on how you look at it there. Point is, millions, a very small amount of money. He laid hands on him, verse 28, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. They went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. His master... After he had called him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just as I have pity on you? His master was angry. and He delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also would do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespass. That's a powerful passage. Now, the idea once again is Christ has paid our debt. So immensely, I should be able to forgive other people for the wrongs they've done. We've all been wronged here. We've all had something that somebody said that we took the wrong way. We've all had something somebody said that we didn't take the wrong way. We didn't have to take it the wrong way because it was very blunt what they were trying to say. We've had things that we've been hurt, we've been harmed. We've all gone down that path, everyone here. The point is if Christ so easily forgave us, we should be able to pass that forgiveness on. See, the key is found in verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each one of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. The key phrase in verse 35 is from his heart. This is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus is trying to get down to the heart as a Christian We're not judgmental, we're not condemning, we're forgiving. That's the heart issue. And if Jesus has touched your heart, it should be easy then to pass that along to other people. Jump back now, if you will, to Luke chapter 6. See, it takes us then to verse 38. Give and will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. But the same measure that you use will be measured back to you. A lot of times people take verse 38 and they make a teaching on giving out of it. And there's some good giving principles in there. God makes it abundantly clear, and I'll be the first to say, when you honor God in your giving, He takes care of you. He does. But in the context of this passage, verse 38, this is not talking about giving. It's talking about relationships with others. That's what it's talking about here. When you are a forgiving person, a non judgmental person, a non condemning person, your words are edifying according to Ephesians 4, you're kind hearted according to Ephesians 4, guess what's going to happen in verse 38? You will be blessed in your relationships with others. You truly will. Proverbs 18:27 says this, A man who has friends must himself also be friendly. Just think about it. Those people that are judgmental, condemning, unforgiving, bitter, you don't want to be around them. Sometimes people come up to me and they make a comment. And they'll say something to the effect of, I have a lot of people that don't want to be around me, I have a lot of people that don't like me, etc. Okay, they don't have many friends. Why? Well, people say that I'm a jerk sometimes. So I usually ask them, are you a jerk? And they get offended. And I say, I'm not trying to be offensive, but if people are calling you a jerk, are you a jerk? They usually sit there, put their head down, and say, sometimes. And I'd say, well, I think right there's your answer. You, you can't get upset about that. If that's the way you're treating other people, you can't expect verse 38 to happen where people are overflowing to want to be around you. There's an element of this, of being loving and forgiving. That is what we're supposed to be doing. And as we're loving and forgiving, we are blessed. problem is when you choose not to walk in that loveness and that forgiveness – Look at verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? See, here's what happened. In relationships that you're in, be it your marriage, be it with your kids, be it with coworkers, friends, if they're angry... And you become angry. They're unforgiving, so you become unforgiving. It's the blind leading the blind. Both will fall into the Exactly what's going to happen. If you're harboring unforgiveness, if you're harboring anger because they're harboring unforgiveness and anger, it's like the blind leading the blind. Your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your coworkers, it will all fall into the pit. So I always say that somebody has to be the mature one and step up act loving. See, Jesus in verse 40, he comes out and says "A disciple is not above his teacher. He says, listen, this is what I went through. He goes, you're going to have to go through it. As your teacher, as Jesus is saying, as your teacher, he goes, I was forgiving. You need to be forgiving. He set the example for us. That judgmental attitude, though, it's powerful. Look at verses 41 through 42. It's a classic example of the speck in your eye. Excuse me, the speck in your brother's eye and the plank in your eye. That you're going around picking out little specks of sawdust out of people. Or you got this two-by-four sticking right out of your head that people have to duck every time you turn your head. Because what happens? We get this judgmental attitude, and so we start picking out everything that's wrong with other people. Everything. My little phrase generally is, those who yell the loudest usually have the most to hide. If I run into a person and they're constantly picking out everybody's flaws and thoughts, my, my heart is on that generally is, what are they trying to hide? Why are they so constantly picking out what's wrong with everybody else? you ever notice that anytime you get into a discussion with somebody? That if it's an honest discussion, and it's even loving, it's done biblically, and you go to them and say, there's an issue in your life I'm concerned at. If their first response back is always, well, what about you? What does that reveal? It reveals the heart. It reveals a heart issue that needs to be worked at. Now, The problem is with verses 41 and 42 people take these verses and they say well I can't say anything to anybody who am I to go pick out a speck in someone's eye when I do have two by fours in my eye what happens then is the enemy gets in and parents come up to me and they'll say something to the fact of, my kid is doing things they shouldn't be doing. You know, Maybe they're out having inappropriate relationships with other people they shouldn't be having. Maybe they're saying things they shouldn't say. They're, they're doing things they shouldn't do. And so they come and they say, what should I do? My kid is not living the life like they should. Have you talked to them about it? Have you corrected them? No, why not? Well, because I used to do those same things too. I used to do that. I used to say that. I used to act inappropriately. So who, who am I to say anything then because I'm just a hypocrite? That's not what this passage is saying in any way whatsoever. See, Satan uses guilt and condemnation to keep us from speaking the truth. And what happens is he wants you to not speak the truth to people because of issues that are already going on in your life. This passage is not saying that you have to be perfect before you correct somebody else. If that was true, nobody would ever teach Sunday school. No one would ever be a pastor. No one would ever do anything. We'd all show up at church on Sunday and crickets would be chirping because no one would get up to teach. I'm telling you right now, the most convicted person on a Sunday morning is myself. Because as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, wow, Lord, you want me to teach that as I struggle with that? When I'm sitting there doing counseling with couples or a person, sometimes I'm telling them things. I'm writing a note to myself. That's a good verse, James. You need, to, you need to mark that one yourself. We all have specks in our eyes. We all have two-by-fours in our eyes. What this verse is saying is you can't have that judgmental attitude towards people. So sometimes people come up and say, well, I want to. I want to speak the truth. But once again, I struggle with that area myself, so how can I go speak the truth? Because the truth is separate from you. The truth is biblical. The truth is spirit. The truth is Jesus. So I can give you biblical, spirit-led truth of Christ, even though my life may not be perfect. Because this Bible, this word, is more powerful than my life. But... I also have a responsibility to live the life. So somebody comes up and says, I'd love to correct them on that, but I'm struggling with that too. I still do that. What well, my advice sometimes is not very loving, but it's honest. I say, so you want to correct your kid, your coworker, your friend, your brother, because they, they cuss and you cuss yourself? Yeah. Then why don't you stop cussing? If there's something in your life that's keeping you from being a witness to others because you know and that area in your life is not right, how about you get that area right? Now You may say, well, that's easier said than done. Maybe it is, and that's not the point of this teaching. But the point is, if that is keeping you from being the light and witness you should, maybe that's God's way of saying you need to work on that area. And there's nothing wrong with going up to that coworker and saying, hey, listen, I hear your language. That's not the type of language we want to use. Or your kid, I I hear those words you're saying. That's not the type of words I want you to use. Well, you say it too, Dad. I know, Dad struggles with that. How about you pray for me and I'll pray for you? But let's make a household right here that does it. You know what? Working towards it. We all have specs, we all have things we need to work on. I've noticed lately with our uh, two year old, almost three year old, Layton. Now, if you ever ask him to do something before he does it, he grunts. Anything. Anything you ask him to do. You know, Laden, can you, can you take your blanket back and put it on your bed? He grunts first, and he does it. I asked Dawn. I said, when did he start doing this? I just noticed this a couple of days ago. She goes, always been doing it for a while. And that's I started thinking, where does he get this from? I asked Dawn. I said, where does he get this from? She goes, from me? And so I looked, and any time I asked Dawn to do something at home, she grunts first before she does it. which <laughs> just proves the sinner in my family is my wife. So... When my kids grow up and they have problems under Sunday school, don't don't come to me. I know they got problems. I know where they get the problems from. Um, they see that. They act that. So I asked Dawn. I said, "Well, how am I supposed to correct the grunting of Leyden if you're doing it yourself?" And she goes, I don't know. So <laughs> So pray for the urban household. But the point is, Those words and actions reveal our heart. That's what they do. And so what Jesus is trying to say here is, you know what? You need to have fruit that is good. Verses 43 through 45, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. See, it's our heart. Verse 44, Every tree is known by its own fruit. Jump ahead to verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If I would just choose to be around you on a daily, weekly basis, I can look by your actions and your words how you are and where you're at with the Lord. That's not being judgmental. It's inspecting fruit. Because your words, your actions, reveal your heart. That's what God is trying to say. Now, when we all come to church... Be at the 8:30 service. Be at the 10 o'clock. Be at Wednesday at seven. The old saying goes, a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. We can all show up and look really good from 10 to 11:30. But it's when that weekly walk with the Lord. Just be honest with yourself. What do your words reveal about you? See, I know people, and I put myself in this category. Sometimes it says things like this. I do really good. Until this person says something. I do really good until this happens. And then I just lose it. Okay, well, then God is revealing my heart. is not near as strong as I think it is. See, our words, our actions reveal our heart. That word for bad fruit in verse 43, it literally means rotten, black. Fruit. The word for good fruit in verse 43 literally means handsome. I mean, it, it is such... An object, listen, you have a bright red shiny apple with no spots sitting right here and you have an apple that's six months old decaying right here. Nobody would ever say, I'll take the black apple. Nobody ever would. And that's the same thing that God is saying. He goes, your words and actions are either coming out fruit that is edifying or it's coming out rotten black. He goes, that reveals your heart. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, it takes us to verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Very simply put, if you're calling Jesus Lord, your life will be backed up by the actions that he wants. If you're calling Christ Lord, your life will reveal that. Not that those actions or works save you, but those actions and works reveal your heart, that your heart has been changed by the Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, you won't be judgmental, you won't be condemning, you'll be free to forgive, and your mouth will speak edifying words. That's what he's trying to say. So. Think about that. Do you call Christ Lord, but don't have it backed up in what you do? Verse 47, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house, and he could not shake it, for he was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently. Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house is great. Now, look at verse 47. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them. See, that's the tag team. Hear and do. A lot of people hear the words of God. I know people that come up to me sometimes. They talk to me about everything they hear about God. They're they're constantly listening to praise music. They're constantly listening to messages. They're, They're constantly inundating themselves with hearing about God. So they never do the doing part. See, it's a package, hear and do. If you think just because you came this morning and you sat here for an hour and a half and heard the message, that all of a sudden your life is going to be amazingly better, you're fooling yourself. You've heard it. Now you need to go do it. I, I can sit and read the Bible all day. But if I don't put it into action, what good does it do? It's hearing and then doing. And that's what he says here in verses 48 and 49. So he's got the first guy. first guy built his house on the rock. The rock represents God, the foundation of Christ. That's what his house is built on. His life is built on Christ. So when the storm comes and hits, guess what? His house still stands. It has the sure foundation of Christ. Next guy, verse 49, builds his house on the sand. What happens? Storm comes, completely knocks down his house. Obviously, it's a pretty easy teaching lesson there. When you build your house on Christ, your house stands, the storms of life. When you build your house on the sand of life, house falls apart. This is the point that we seem to forget in this teaching. Look at verses 48 and 49. The same storm hit both houses. See, the problem is I think sometimes we think I built my house on Christ. I will never have storms. I'm not the one that's going to get cancer. My loved ones won't get cancer. I'm not the one that's going to get sick. I'm not the one that's going to lose my job. I'm not the one that's going to struggle with finances because I built my house on the rock. That's not a teaching point because the Bible tells me in verses 48 and 49 the same storms that hit non believers also hit believers. The only difference is, as a believer, your foundation is on Christ. So when you are the one that loses your job, you don't fret. Because you have Christ as your foundation. where you're the one that gets the bad diagnosis from a doctor, fear does not overtake you because Christ is your foundation. Your house is built on rock. The same storm hits both. You have to remember that when these difficult times of life hit. There's no promise in the Bible that God keeps us from those things. He says, I will help you through those things. And your life being built on the foundation of the Lord, that's what gets you through. Now this is the problem I see. I know people that build their house on the sand, verse 49. They build a nice house. It's a really nice house, actually. Sometimes it's nicer than my house, it looks like. Storms of life hit them. Their house gets completely knocked down. Their life falls apart. What happens? They need to rebuild. So what do they do? They rebuild right on the sand again. That's why the Bible uses that great proverb of, just as a dog returns to the vomit. If your house has already been built once on the sand, and it's already been knocked down once by the storms of life, why would you want to go back and rebuild on that? I don't know how many times girls come up to me and say something like this, to the fact of, I don't know why I always keep getting those same type of guys. Because you keep choosing vomit again and again and again. Some guy comes up, I don't know why, I'm always the one that has trouble at work. I always got this one co-worker that I just can't work with. Because you just keep choosing vomit again and again and again. If you keep building your house on the sand and your house keeps falling down, would you not stop and look at the foundation of your life and say, you know what, the sand thing's not working out real well. You know, how, how about I, I try the rock thing? And this is what happens out here at church. People get their house knocked down by the storm of life on sand. They come to church for a while. Things are better. They get their house built and there's no storms. So everything is good. Next thing you know, we slowly lose them. A storm of life hits back. See, there's always going to be storms. Always going to be storms. That's why I always tell people, when the storms of life hit, those storms aren't going to last forever. And when you're in a stage of life where there are no storms, get outside of your house and enjoy it. The storm's going to come. You know, it's right now at our house, we don't have sickness going on. There's seven of us, there's five boys, there's no sickness. You know what's going to happen in November and January and February and March? It's coming. Enjoy the storm. I should say, enjoy the season where there's no storm. We're thankful. So right now you're in a stage of life where it's good. Enjoy it. Be blessed. Because there's going to be difficult times coming. Now, if you have your rock, if you have your foundation, I should say on the rock, even when those difficult times of life hit, you still get through it because Christ is your sure foundation. Christ is your sure foundation. What I want to close with is this. This is a verse I use at every wedding I do. 1 Corinthians 3.11. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I always say this. A marriage built on the foundation of Christ will last. A life built on the foundation of Christ will last. A marriage not built on the foundation of Christ not last. A life not built on the foundation of Christ will not last. The foundation of your life is Christ. It has to be. That is your firm foundation which gets you through storms. That's what's going to do it. Marvin Kelly, if you guys want to come up here for the final song.